Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kelly. Well, for the first several weeks of the new year, we are spending some time in this series. Uh, You see the slide on the screen, A Firm Foundation, and then the subtitle, which is very hard to read, uh, is, is this, Following the Framework for Transformation. So the Apostle Paul, he says in Romans 8, uh, 29. Actually, let me read beginning at um, uh, just before. I'll read, or, I'll read 29 and 30. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be, there was a purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then verse 30 goes on. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This idea of being conformed into the image of Jesus, or again, as the subtitle of the series, uh, transformation. Uh, Really, if if we're defining things the same, and so I will, I'm going to speak of several things that are synonymous. So, being conformed to the image of Jesus, being transformed uh, into spiritual maturity, um, progressive sanctification, that's kind of a theological pair of words, um, spiritual transformation, spiritual formation. Uh, all of these things can be synonymous if we're operating with the same definitions, and, and I, I will use those words synonymously. Uh, Another way we could put it is making us more like the Lord Jesus. I I teased last week that uh, Kristen's pastor in college and a man who became my mentor used to joke that um, if Jesus had only wanted us to be in heaven, he would have taken us to heaven when he saved us. But here we all are, and that's because he's doing something. It's not that he needs us. He doesn't. Uh, but he's doing something, and, and one of the things he's doing is what we just read. We're being conformed to the image of his son. We're being progressively sanctified. We're being spiritually transformed, and, and so on. And so, as we start the year, what a better thing to think about, to sort of ask that big question. Am I being more and more in this new year conformed to the image of Jesus? Because that's what God is wanting to do in us. Now, there's lots of things we could do to talk about that. And I said last week as well that I get the privilege of cherry-picking what I want us to talk about. Um, I mean, essentially, the, the plate, the, the table is full of what we, we, could, we could talk on. But God has given us a detailed blueprint in his word, and, and it has clear directions for this 
transformation for this framework. And so uh, what we are doing for last week, this week, and then uh, the plan next week too, is to, to spend these first three Sundays considering the role of God's word in our life, the role of God's word. And so I said last week, the question or um, sort of the, the, the call rather, the pastoral uh, admonition was, let's live on God's word in 2023, right? I said, let's not dabble in it. Let's not tinker with it, but let's live on it. And, and this idea came from the words of Jesus, again, on the screen for you to look at. In his temptation in Matthew 4, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy verse, chapter 8, verse 3, and, and when he was tempted to turn bread or stone into bread because of his hunger, his, his quote, his rebuke to the deceiver, uh, to the devil was, it is written, God's word says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so that's, that's the challenge last week. That was the challenge, living on God's word in 2023. And so if you were with us, you'll recognize this. If you weren't with us, take a quick look. We walked through uh, kind of a quick overview of uh, five ways to live on God's word with this sort of picture from Mitch Marr uh, in his Clarifying the Bible workshop uh, of a hand, and a hand grips things, and so it's just meant to be a, a memorable device. But, but five ways we can live on God's word, we can have a grip on God's word, we can hear it, we can read it, we can study it, we can memorize and meditate, and of course, apply it. And a couple of you came up actually afterwards, and uh, we had a good discussion, and there's other things too, we can speak it. Absolutely. And that could happen, you know, in addition to any of these uh, as part of these. And even the word uh, meditate from the Psalms that we looked at, uh, that word has built in it the idea of speaking. To meditate on God's word is to verbally, orally just say it over and over again and and repeat and and to speak to others. And so uh, that was where we were last week. Uh, Quick question. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, did anybody... Start something new from these things that you hadn't done? Yeah, Sherry. Awesome. So you were spending time hearing. That's great. Someone else. Anybody try something or, or modify a little bit something else you were doing? Going once, going twice. Sold. So, so it's not too late to, to try these. If, if, again, one of these uh, is something that's new to you, um, by all means, you know, do it. Angel, did you spend some time with one of these? Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's hard to read a little bit. So like doing what God's word says, like if it says children. Yeah. It's good to have you in worship with us today. We've missed you. I want to say, I miss you. I miss you guys so much. And you know what? 
decided to help me, and I notified God of very free, touching me, and I talk to God every day in the morning, and I pray in it, I pray in it, I pray in it, I pray in it, and I open my, my Bible, get my phone out, and I say the word, and I, I want not having my mom to not be sick or die. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray right now for you and your mom, okay? Father, it is wonderful to have Angel in worship with us. We've missed her. We miss her mom. And we just pray what Angel asked, that you would keep Gloria healthy, and that you would continue to heal her as she fights this cancer battle and strengthen her, keep her immune system strong, please God. And we simply come and ask in faith, trusting you, that you hear us when we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Angel. Well, so today, that was review. I want to return to this same theme, Living on God's Word in 2023, Part 2. I know it's kind of a boring title, uh, but but this is, is really my heartbeat for us for a few different uh Messages. Actually, like I said, next week we will be in this theme uh, as well. Although next week uh, you won't hear from me. Uh, we'll watch the screens next week. And an old friend, someone that if you've been around Soma, it's been years now, but uh, we have in the past had our good friend Tim Keller give a sermon or two uh, on the video. Um, he's going to bring a message uh, to us out of Second Peter uh, that also speaks on the role of the Bible in our life. And and again, it can fall under this big theme of living on God's word in 2023. I I want us to be reminded of things, inspired of things, and I want us to learn things all related to this. But for this morning now, we turn to the text that uh, Callie read just a few moments ago. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. So I read through that passage last week very briefly, and I mentioned that I was just reading it, and we would get into it this week, and and so that is where we are headed. So turn there in your Bible. It's on the screen if you need to see uh, the reference. So here's the question. Why should we live on God's Word? Or I've put it in the form of a statement on the screen, why we should Well, on the one hand, the answer, why should we? Well, we already heard the answer. It's Jesus' words. We are not to live as humans on bread alone, but on every word. So we could just stop right there and go have our cookies and coffee and call it a day. But I've studied and I, I don't want to call it a day yet. Not only did Jesus say that we should live on every word, but but we're gonna see this this morning that the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, has a word from God related to this very question or statement, why we should live on God's word. And it's, it's rather simple. We're going to see three things in, in this passage today, three things related to the nature of God's word that answer why we should live on God's word in, in 2023. I'm going to walk through them one at a time to build anticipation, but we'll spend most of our time in, in the first one. So just giving you a heads up there. Three things, I'll take them one at a time, but most of our time will be in the first. And so the first 
thing we're going to see why we should live on God's word is because of what God's word is. What God's word is. So in 2 Timothy 3, we're going to skip over verses 14 and 15. We'll come back to them at the end. But I want you to look at verse 16. Uh, And actually just the the A part of, of verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16a. The Apostle Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God. So we're going to just stop right there for a moment. All Scripture is breathed out by God. According to the Apostle Paul, what he is saying here is that God's Word is God's words. God's word, he calls it the scripture. It is God's very word. When, when our text says uh, that it's breathed out by God, he is saying that it is God's words. Now we're going to come back to breathed out by God, but I want to walk through this phrase at a time because this, this is all so important. Um, so important. So the first thing he says, all scripture. All scripture. Now, that word scripture is simply the Greek word graphe. It's, it's simply a word that can mean uh, writings in just a very general sense. It was a common word in uh, the Apostle Paul's day. But this is, this is interesting for you to remember this. You can, you can do this. Uh, that word occurs 50 times in the New Testament. You can memorize that because I turned 50 this year. So if you just remember how old your pastor's turning, uh, 50, that's the number of times that that word scripture shows up in the New Testament, okay? So far, you're tracking with me. I can see it in your eyes. 48 of the 50, I know numbers and it's early, but you can do it. 48 times the word refers to what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. So... Track with me. This Greek word that means writings, just in a general sense, is used 50 times in the New Testament. 48 of them, all, 48 of them, all refer to uh, the Old Testament, or they would have thought of the Hebrew Scriptures, but that's it. They they were thinking Bible. When, When it's used 48 times, it's looking back to their Bible, the Bible of Jesus, the Bible of the Apostle Paul, the Again, what we think of as the Old Testament, okay? If you want to see that list, I can email it to you uh, this week if you'd like. So, so far, you're, you're with me. But that's only 48. There's two other times the word shows up. And for this, I think this is the coolest thing ever. So take a look at the screen. First Timothy chapter 5. So we're, we're in 2 Timothy. So Paul's first letter to Timothy, probably written in the early 60s, 80s, 60s, okay? 62, 63. Look what Paul says, and I've I've divided it up just so you can see it, but but here it is. Paul says, for the scripture says, and then the apostle Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. A simple uh, command from Deuteronomy that an ox gets to eat the grain, it's grinding. Pretty straightforward, okay? The point is one who works for something should be able to glean the benefits from it. So you see the first part of the verse. The scripture says, and there's a quote from Deuteronomy 25.4. 
But Paul's not done with his sentence. And then he says, and, and then he's got another piece of scripture that he quotes. Does anybody know where uh, this, this other verse comes from? The laborer deserves his wages. Maybe, maybe Proverbs, you know, maybe stuck somewhere in the minor prophets that we just went through. It's not anywhere in the Old Testament. No, this is a direct quote from the words of Jesus, close geo, in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Uh, in Luke 10, I'll read the context for you, verses 5 to 7. This is the 72 being sent out for ministry. Jesus is telling them what to expect, what to do. And then Jesus says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go, or do, yeah, do not go from house to house. The Apostle Paul in AD 62-63 says that the scripture, a word that 48 times always means the Bible, the Old Testament, he quotes one time right here from Deuteronomy, and then he gives another statement that he considers scripture, and it was the words of Jesus. The point is, by this time, clearly some of the, what we call gospel writings, they were written down, because scripture means writing, and in the Apostle Paul's mind, they were on par at the same level with the Old Testament, okay? Uh, one other, the, the 50, 40 or the 50th example, right? I told you we had two other examples. Look at the screen. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, this is Second Peter where Tim Keller will be preaching from next week. But in chapter 3, uh, in verses 15 to 16, and I've got part of verse 16 on the screen, but you can listen as I read. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So Peter's writing to this group, and he says, our beloved brother, the Apostle Paul, he's also written some things. Now verse 16, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters... There are some things in them, that is the Apostle Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. Thank you, Peter, for agreeing with what we experience sometimes when we read the Apostle Paul. There are some hard things to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, which, again, by the way, people still twist, not just the Apostle Paul's words, but the whole Bible, but look at the last phrase. As they do the other scriptures. So Peter is talking about Paul's writings. And yes, yeah, some of it's hard to understand, but there are people that twist Paul's words as people do the other scriptures, which is Bible, Old Testament. So Peter, too, is putting some of Paul's words at the same level as the scriptures. So Paul puts the words of Jesus as scripture, Bible. Peter puts Paul's words at the same level. Uh, it's really astounding. So again, 50 times, remember that's how old your pastor is turning this year, 
50 times the word scripture is used, 48 always, always are referring specifically to the Old Testament and two of them, the two we just looked at, put Jesus's words and Paul's words right there at the same level. Here's the point, church. All scripture for us, that is the Old Testament, and that's why we were in the Minor Prophets for three months, why we've spent time in Psalms and other places. All scripture, including the New Testament, why even today we are in Second Timothy, according to the Bible, it's all breathed out by God. We'll come to that in, in a minute, what that means. Now, let me just say as well, um, some may argue, well, you know, you're making sort of a circular point. You're saying that the scripture says that all of the scripture is God's word. Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's the point. According to the Bible, the Bible is God's word, all of it. Genesis to Revelation, the difficult stuff in between, the stuff you don't like, the stuff I don't like, the stuff we want to avoid, the stuff we sometimes wish wasn't there because it makes us uncomfortable. If it's in these 66 books, the 39 we call the Old Testament, the 27 we call the New, all Scripture, all Scripture is God's word. So that brings us now back to 2 Timothy 3. What God's word is, well, all we've done so far is note what all scripture means, but now let's, let's see this a little more explicitly. What is all scripture? What is God's word? Paul says in verse 16 there, it is breathed out by God. So that's how the ESV translated, breathed out by God. Some of you might have Bibles that have God breathed, just kind of, you know, moving those words around. Some of you may have a Bible, if you have a New American Standard or a Christian Standard Bible, uh, you may have the word inspired. And maybe you've heard that, uh, that all scripture is inspired by God. Um, uh, let's talk about what this, this phrase means. Uh, it is one word in the Greek. Um, and it's a compound word, uh, the word for God, theos, and the word for breathe, kind of smashed together. Uh, there's plenty of compound words in the New Testament. It was a common thing. Uh, think of the name uh, Theophilus, for example, in Luke 1 and Acts 1. Luke is writing to his beloved friend named Theophilus. And Theophilus is a compound word uh, of theos, where you hear the name of God, uh, and then uh, Phileas, or a friend, God's friend, Theophilus. Okay, so, so far so good. So here we have this word, this compound word that, that scholars think probably the Apostle Paul made up. It's not anywhere else in the Bible. You can't find any record of that specific word in any other writing. But knowing that there's names like Theophilus and these compound words come together, seems that the Apostle Paul decided to, to make this word God-breathed, taking two compound words that mean God and, and mean breath of God, this, this breath, God's breath. And he says that, that it, that's what all Scripture is. So, so God's breath, God-breathed, breathed out by God. And, and so we can understand why some speak of that as being inspired but again, as I've said before, it's not the same as when we might say something like, Steph Curry is inspiring to watch. When, when, we, when we talk like that, we, we mean, you know, it's marvelous or it's just, you know, unlike anything we've seen. 
That's sometimes what we mean by inspire. When, when the Bible uses the translation of inspired, or when we talk about the word of God being inspired or the inspiration of the Bible, we aren't saying it's like Steph Curry. We're saying it's the breath of God. God breathed from God himself. One scholar says this, the term stresses the divine origin and thus the point, the authority of the scripture. Church, when you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. That, that means this is authoritative from God. And, and what is all scripture? as we've been saying, Genesis to Revelation. Paul doesn't point to human authors as inspired people. He's saying that the writings themselves, the scripture, have this divine authority. They are the words spoken, breathed out by God. One other writer said it like this, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. The very writings themselves have the characteristic of God-breathedness. They are God's word. All scripture is God-breathed. What God's word is, it's God's words. But there's one more point about what God's word is here in verse 16. Look down again. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's divinely authoritative. And then Paul says, and profitable. Simple enough word. If something's profitable, it's useful. If something's profitable, it's beneficial. Again, I like this one commentator. He says this, God's word being profitable, beneficial, useful is good for God's people. God's word is good for God's people, precisely because it's the word of God. He says, in fact, we might loosely render the phrase like this, all scripture is God breathed and therefore is good for you. For him to say all scripture is God breathed and profitable is him saying all scripture is from God and it is good for you. We, we have both of these things attacked in our day all the time. People all the time want to say that this, this is not God's word, it's just human words. And of course, humans wrote it. Uh, we, we can just spend 20, maybe 40 seconds on this, but right, the, the inspiration of the scriptures, it doesn't mean the Apostle Paul all of a sudden, you know, was filled like in a weird way and like, you know, like a puppet, like controlled God used Paul and his background and his context and his temperament to write what he wrote and David to write what he wrote in the Psalms and, and Moses and, and Nehemiah and, and on and on and on. All of the authors, their, their context, their temperament, their, their settings, and, and he, he spoke through them. He, he gave them words. Um, Scripture's statement about itself is that it's from God. 
And again, whether that's circular or not, it doesn't matter. The point is, that's what Scripture says. The other thing that gets attacked, as I said, is that it's good for you. People all the time, you know, think that this is an oppressive book and, and it harms people. Um, it's so not, you know, living in, in our times and, uh, you know, but, but of a past history and, and, um, and yes, people have misused God's word and done wrong things and horrible things, um, but that's on people, not, not on what God's word is. God's word is God's word, and it's good for us. So we should live on God's word because of what God's word is. And God's word is God's words, and it's good and useful. And so that's the first thing. I told you three things. I told you I'd spend the most time on that point. Well, let's look at the other two things. Not only does Paul tell us what God's word is and therefore why we should live on it, but number two, uh, we're going to see what God's word does. So the rest of verse 16, he says, all scripture is from God. It's divinely authoritative. It's good and profitable. That's what it is, but it does something. And Paul lists four things. He says, all scripture, the Bible, God's word, God's very words, this profitable, good for you collection of books does four things. It says, teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Four things that God's word does in the lives of his people. There's a few different ways to, to look at these uh, these words. Uh, on the one hand, it's a list of things. It doesn't appear that point one, teaching, is more important than the others. He's just saying, here's four things that God's word, which is from God, which is good for you, does in your life. And so uh, teaching is just that. God's word tells us what we need to believe, what what is sound doctrine? Who God is, like our catechism this morning. Even though that's a catechism being pulled from other scriptures, um, it's distilled from what the Bible is. So we need this book to teach us who God is, what he's done, what his plans are for us, what it means to be human, what, what it doesn't mean to be human, what the future is going to hold, what the past holds. Uh, the Bible teaches us lots and lots and lots of things. Um, but definitely it teaches us doctrine. Secondly, Paul says that the scripture, God's word is useful, profitable, good for us to reprove. It's good for reproof. I like this word. Um, it's kind of a negative word on the one hand, but what it means is that it, it tells us what we, we shouldn't believe. Uh, it, it tells us where we're out of line. It, it reproves us. We, we need reproof. We need reproof right as we drive. We need to know, oh, I'm going 55. The speed limit now is 35. That's a reproof on the road there. The scriptures tell us, not only teach us about God and, and who he is, what he's done, how to live, what to believe, but when we, when we negatively go off the rails, it reproves. It tells us, in a sense, we're off the rails. But then three... All scripture, God's word, 
which is good and useful for us, it corrects us. Don't you love that? Not only does it tell us where you're out of line, Paulo, but how to get back in line. What, what do you need to do? It means to set right this word, um, and probably with reference to our conduct. And then number four, Paul says, training in righteousness. Again, this, there's another aspect of teaching there. Um, in a way, there's a chiastic structure. Remember the hamburger and the, the Greek letter chi? So you've got positive training or positive teaching, positive training in righteousness, and then two negatives, reprove and correction. So it could be that there's this chiastic thing going on. But anyhow, to train, again, means that Scripture tells us positively how to be righteous, how to, how to live in line with what God says about us. What does it mean to to live a holy, righteous, pure life. Uh, just to illustrate this uh, briefly, um, my kids are older now. Most of you know we were, we were joking yesterday. Um, we, we mentioned to someone about something something that a, a young person did, and and the person we were telling thought that it meant like a little child, and then we had to say, no, no, this refers to uh, a young person who's 12 in, in our home, uh, and so on. So our kids are a bit older now, but when I was younger, and when they were all younger, um, man, there were a lot of times, uh, not so many now, and you can ask them, I give you permission, and they're right there, uh, but when they were younger, and something would happen uh, that would cause me to be upset, I often blew my top, and and yelled, and um broke things in anger and um, had outbursts of anger directed at them. So scripture reproves me. Scripture says pretty clearly um, that that's that's not the way to behave. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, parents, fathers, you know, don't provoke your children to anger. Um, and then the scripture corrects. The scripture says, um, when we sin against one another, we go and we apologize. And so countless times I had to go to them and apologize. And not just to the one that my anger was directed at, but I would go to the others and say, I'm sorry that I got angry at your sister or your brother. And I would go to Kristen and say, I'm sorry for how I behaved toward our kids. And, and the scriptures correct me and tell me that's what you do. But when I sin down here this way, I've also sinned this way to, to God. So then the scriptures tell me that if we sin, we, we confess, and God's faithful and righteous to forgive. And, and so we, we do that. And, and so that's just a little example in, in my life. Again, less and less as I get older and as they get older, and maybe that's because as we all get older, we're being formed into the image of Christ. I don't know. But we are to live on God's word because of what it is, which is God's word from him, because it's good for us and because of what it does. See, what he says here, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, you could get that from all sorts of places. You can get it from television and from your friends and, and from the internet. And, and there's a place for others to help in all these areas. But if we're only ever being taught from others and not from God's word, we're not going to be formed uh, into his image. It's only God's word, which is his words, 
which are good for us, that can do those four things. And then number three this morning, what God's word produces. And so verse 17, all scripture, back in verse 16, to hear the context, is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And now verse 17, this production in us is this, that the man of God, that's how it's translated, I'll explain, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul says that the man of God. So um, you might see, if you have an ESV, a little footnote like my Bible does. That footnote down below says that this phrase, man of God, is a messenger of God, and it's a phrase that echoes a common Old Testament expression. And so uh, it seems that Paul here, he also uses this word one other time in 1 Timothy. He's trying to encourage Timothy, uh, who's his representative, to be that man of God messenger, just like in the Old Testament there were these messengers that God chose and God appointed. So he's, in its immediate context, encouraging Timothy. Timothy, God's word is useful to you, it's his word, it's good for you, it's going to do these four things so that you, the man of God, the one chosen, right, and then that you'd be completely equipped for every good work. But here's the truth. If it's only that, then we could skip this verse because none of us are this man of God that the Apostle Paul is writing to. We're not his representative there in Ephesus, right? So, so we can understand what he's saying to Timothy, but we can apply it. This, this has application to all of us. Because at an application level, men and women, if we are God's sons and daughters, um, we have been chosen by God. And the last phrase, equipped for every good work, we, we have been called to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, we are not saved right by works, but by grace. And then he says, uh, for good works. By grace you have been saved through faith, not yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. For we all are God's workmanship, a masterpiece by the master himself for good works. We are all made for good works. So the application of what the scripture is, what the scripture does, holds true to all of us. So, so ladies, but guys too, don't read this and only apply it to Timothy. Man of God applies to all of us as in people of God, those that God has called to do good works. And, and then just briefly, it says, this word of God, which is God's word, which is good for us, which does four things, produces people that are complete and equipped for every good work. To be complete means to be capable, to be proficient, to do the very good works that God has called us to do. If we all agree with Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's masterpiece, the work of a master craftsman for good works, it's this book that will equip you and make you complete to do those very good works. Briefly, back to the top of our passage. Right before Paul speaks of what God's word is, what it does, and what it produces, he says, to Timothy at verse 14. As for you, Timothy, continue. Just continue. Keep on in what you have learned and what you have believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood 
you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So church, whether you from childhood have been acquainted with the writings or whether it's still kind of new to you or somewhere in the middle, continue, continue. Why we should live on God's word in 2023 because God's word is God's word and it's good for us. God's word does these things in our life and God's word produces in us people that are ready for good works. So get a grip on his word, hear it, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, apply it. And then maybe you can join with Jeremiah, the prophet, who said these words. I, I was a young married man, and there was this guy at Biola who, who was a retired man. He had gone to Biola literally, I think, like in the 30s. So this is now the 90s, and, and so a long time had passed, and he gets to live on campus and basically just mentor young people, and, and he took interest in me. His name was Ray, and he would have me for lunch, and we would pray, and he always ended his prayers, praying Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. He would say, and God, may we be like Jeremiah and find your words and eat them, and may your words become for us the joy and the delight of our heart, for we have been called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so, Father in heaven, that's my prayer now for all of us. I pray in this new year that we would find your words, which are right in front of us, that we would read and hear and study and memorize and meditate. And apply. And and that as we find your word, God, that we would take and eat and, and digest And may your words truly become to us the joy and the delight of our heart. Because we still agree with Jesus that we are not to live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. So please, God, make that true in our life. We pray in Jesus' name.